How many of you have ever been in a circumstance um, where you needed someone's help? Like, you had something that you needed to do, but you knew you couldn't do it by yourself. Anybody? Is that pretty much everybody? Okay. Kind of like your car breaks down and you can't steer it and push it off the road at the same time. You know what I mean? You've been there. Or you need to boost your battery off. You got the cables in the car. You don't have another car. So you have to borrow a car from somebody, their battery, to boost your car off. Or maybe if you've ever climbed on a tall ladder, how many of you know what you need at the bottom? You know what I mean? If it's slanted like that, you need a couple people at the bottom as heavy as possible anchoring on that, on that bottom rung to help keep the ladder there. Everybody finds themselves in a situation like that sometime where, where we need somebody's help. Many of you are aware that we lived in the area that took a direct hit uh, from Hurricane Katrina. And that first night back in my house after Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, that was a long night. I, I didn't sleep much. Um, before sunup, I walked back out on the back patio and I sat there in a chair and I was just praying and thinking like, God, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, where do you start? And I really hadn't had an opportunity to get a good look at everything around me yet because it was uh, dusk when I arrived and we spent the night and then the next morning as the sun rose, I, as far as I could see, it was just massive destruction. Uh, you know, houses cluttered, uh, fences were gone for blocks. You could see through backyards, you know, that you normally couldn't see through. Our neighbor's back wall in their house just fell off their house. Their upstairs picture window uh, blew in. And um, our, one of our pastors in our church, uh, every, they lost everything, everything. Everything was gone where their house was but the concrete slab. Uh, everything else, there's nothing in the yard. People were suffering everywhere, and I had no idea how we were going to be able to help and meet all the needs that were around us. But something happened. One by one, people began to arrive. Cooks and carpenters and doctors and nurses and people who organize things, um, a farm, pharmacists, uh, um, uh, pastors, cleanup crew. We had people from over 40 states that came and lived on our property. We had, for, for several weeks, we were averaging over 200 volunteers that stayed on our church campus. And uh, that was the hub. They operated out of there. We treated 10,000 patients in our medical clinic. We had 50,000 cars that drove across our property, and we gave them whatever. Diapers, formula, food, water, clothes, medicine. Uh, the first Thanksgiving after Katrina, uh, Katrina hit in late August, so just, you know, a couple months, we're in Thanksgiving season now. I said, man, I don't know what people are going to do for Thanksgiving. Like, their people don't have running water yet. Their people don't, don't have electricity yet. What are they going to do? So we decided as a church we're going to try to have a Thanksgiving dinner outside in that part of the country. You know, it's, the climate's beautiful that, that time of year. So we're going to feed everybody. Uh, we fed 1,700 people uh, Thanksgiving lunch. And uh, so I was trying to figure out, where that's a lot of turkey, you know, just in case you don't know. You, you, you think you can talk turkey. I can talk turkey. And so there was a guy there who I'd never met, and he said, listen, I'm very resourceful. You get the turkeys, and I'll get the cookers. 
And I had no idea where he's going to get them. And I don't, to be honest, to this day, I don't remember where the, I think it's 275 turkeys we cooked. I don't remember where they came from. I have no idea. But, but he came up with four $20,000 smokers. And we cooked turkey all night long. Uh, trust me, I remember because at midnight the first batch came off and we had about a hundred and something and we had to break them apart. And so here's the thing. I was facing a challenge that I had no idea how I would meet it. But here's what I, here's what I want you to see. The help I had was greater than the challenge. Now I want you to remember that. That's a good thought for the day. The help I had was greater than the challenge. There were so many times we were overwhelmed in those months of recovery, but I learned something in that season of my life that I try to remember. That it doesn't matter how you feel. And even in moments we feel most alone, we're never really alone. We're never really alone, regardless of what we feel. So in this series, that's what we've been talking about the first week. We just gave you the foundation of and show you in Scripture how God is always with us. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about how God is always with us in circumstances that maybe feel like He's not with us. And, and, um, and today, I want to take it one step further and say, not only are you never alone in circumstances, you're never alone in the impact that God wants you to make. So, so let's talk about this. How many of you would say, now this is like a, almost rhetorical, how many of you would say I'm a follower of Jesus? All right, I mean, everybody's not, most everybody is, okay, all right. It's church, okay, I, you, you know, I understand. You're, you're placating me, I appreciate that. But here's what I want you to know. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has called you to change the world. Now there's no debate on that. We're not having theological debates on whether Christians ought to be changing the world or not. Like, that's settled. That's been settled for 2,000 years. God has called you to change the world. The deal is, even more than Hurricane Katrina, though, that's an overwhelming challenge. Right? But I want to encourage you today, the help you have is greater than the challenge. Now, one of the reasons we struggle with it so much is because we try to do it by ourselves. We get overwhelmed, and we say, I've never been to, you know, theological school. I've never been to Bible. I don't know what to do. I'm not qualified. And so we just give up. But I want you to know you're in good company. There's a man in the Bible who had the exact same feelings that you and I have had. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, I want you to look there with me. A man named Gideon. Watch this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak. Whoever thinks Oprah's not in the Bible, there she is right there in, o- in Oprah. <laughs> Just kidding. That belonged to Joash the Abarazite, where his son Gideon was threshing, watch this, threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I, I want you to underline that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Threshing wheat in a wine press. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me. (laughs) Forgive me, my Lord. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? They were under, not under siege, but they had been, um, they were surrounded and and, uh, bullied around by these other nations. 
Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midians. You ever felt like God abandoned you? Why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? Where's God? Why don't I see him move? Why didn't he do anything? Boy, I felt that way. My hand's up. Gideon is hiding in fear, and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I don't know anything about threshing wheat, and I know less about a wine press. But my feeling is, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat in a wheat press, and you press wine in a grape thing, whatever that is. Right? This doesn't make sense to me. But it does teach us a simple truth if you're taking notes this morning. Number one, when we believe we are alone, we spend our lives hiding in fear doing the wrong things. When we believe we are alone, we spend our lives hiding in fear doing the wrong So Gideon says, hey, uh, angel, time out. If God is with us, why are we going through this? Why are these our circumstances? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where are the miracles? Can you catch the humor? He's talking to an angel. How much more supernatural can you get? What bigger miracle can you think of than sitting down over tea with an angel? He's saying, where are the miracles? Well, like here's one. I mean, I don't know what you're seeing. <laughs> Gideon tells the angel, the reason all this is happening is because God's abandoned us. But the truth was God didn't abandon them. They had abandoned God. And Gideon's mad at God because his people is experiencing the consequences of their own actions. And I wonder how many times in our own lives we blame God for consequences over a decision that he's asked us not to make. And then we make it, and then we say, God, where are you? And he says, I didn't move. You moved. Have you ever watched someone else blame themselves or hurt themselves and then blame somebody else? It's so clear when it's somebody else, isn't it? <laughs> it's just not as clear when it's us. And that's why, I want you to catch this, that's why Jesus is the focus of our faith. Our commitment is not the focus of our faith. Why? Because Jesus did not say, you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And if you'll center your faith in his commitment to you and not your commitment to him, in the person of Jesus, that's when things begin to change and you begin to see, I'm never alone. I'm really never alone. So I, 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 I think... This statement, when we believe we're alone, we start hiding in fear, and when we start hiding in fear, we do the wrong things. What do we mean by wrong things? I, I, I think we need to, in Gideon's case, it was threshing wheat in a wine press. I think we need to reflect on the difference in productivity and fruitfulness. When's the last time uh, you've heard anybody in your life tell you they're not busy? Like, I can't remember. Everybody's busy. I'm talking about hair thrown back, eyes bulging out, pedal to the metal, busy. Just, just busy. 
And I wouldn't doubt for a minute. I don't doubt it. I don't, I'm not cynical. I don't, I don't think that people are lying. I think people are really busy. I wouldn't even disagree that most people are productive. But are you fruitful? What's the difference in productivity and fruitfulness? Well, in Scripture, we have two basic definitions of fruitfulness. One is in Galatians 5 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, you might be busy and you might be productive, but are those fruits growing in your life? And if they're not, you're not fruitful. You might be getting a lot done, but you're not fruitful. Another type of fruit the Bible gives us is the fruit of reproducing the life of Jesus and those around you. Another, another that's, that's a fruit, fruitful term is reproduction. In other words, are you influencing the people around you to come closer to Jesus? If not, there's no... So you might be busy, you might be productive, but under that definition, are you fruitful? Is there anybody in your life that can look you in the eye with a tear in their eye and say, I remember when you invited me to church. I remember when you shared your testimony with me. I remember when you prayed for me. I remember when I was down, you reached out and encouraged me. And today, because of that, I found Jesus. And I'm forgiven. That's fruit. That's fruitfulness. So remember, let's go back to the original deal. Remember, we're called to change the world. I know you're productive, but are you fruitful? So Judges chapter 6, let's keep reading in verse 14. The Lord turned to him, the angel, and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. You see what he's saying? Like, we're in the weakest, there's 12 clans, we're the weakest one, and I'm in the weakest family and the weakest clan. (laughs) Do you, you get this? He's like, you couldn't have picked a worse person. Anybody ever felt like that? Oh, Jesus, just use somebody else. Because you picked, it's the wrong day. It's the wrong, I'm the wrong way. Don't you know me? Don't you know where I come from? And, And let me tell you, I think this is why we choose productivity over fruitfulness, because we feel qualified to do the things we're productive at, and we don't feel qualified to produce fruit. So we say, I know how to thresh wheat. Just let me thresh wheat. Just let me work at the store. Just let me lead at the office. Just let me do my job. Just let me raise my kids. Just let, I know how to thresh wheat. Just let me thresh wheat. Don't talk to me about fruitfulness. Talk to me about productivity. Just let me produce and leave me alone. I don't feel qualified to do all the spiritual stuff. That's the pastor's job. That's my wife's job. She's the spiritual one. And we gravitate toward where we feel qualified. And if we're not careful, we trade in a life of fruitfulness for a life of productivity and busyness. But look at verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you. Never alone. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Did did you see earlier in the verse he says... I want you to, I want, Gideon, I want you to save Israel. What? That is a huge assignment. Does this sound 
Does this sound familiar to anybody? God has looked at this church and he said, I want you, I want you to change Shelby County. Well, God, we're just one church. How, how would we do? That's a huge assignment. And Gideon says, how am I going to do that? I'm unqualified. You feel that? I'm weak. I'm insignificant. But God's response is, I will be with you. Number two, God's answer to our fear is, I will be with you. You might be the weakest from the weakest clan, from the weakest tribe, from the weakest family, the most unqualified, the most untalented, the most unspiritual, the most I wasn't raised in a Christian home, I wasn't raised in a Christian family, I don't know anything about the Bible, all of that. And what is God's answer to our fear? I will be with you. Do you know the most often repeated phrase throughout the whole Bible is do not be afraid? Did you know that? More than anything else, do not be afraid. You know why? Because we're afraid of everything. We live in fear and we live in a culture of fear. And God says, I will be with you. Do do not be afraid. Do you know what the next phrase is? Second most often phrase? Right after do not be afraid is I will be with you. He never says don't be afraid like try harder. Stand up. Be determined. Be be courageous. No, no, no. He says do not be afraid. Number two, because I will be with you. God will never send you anywhere. He won't go with you. God's presence frees us from the fear that paralyzes us. And isn't it interesting that Gideon's view of himself is, I'm the, I'm the weakest, we're in the weakest clan. And you ever get picked for the team last and go, oh, not that team. I don't want to be on that team. I'm on the weakest team, I'm on the weakest clan, and we're the weakest family inside the weakest clan. We're just going to die. This is terrible. You you, you ever have that experience? It's interesting that the angel shows up, and he looks at Gideon not through the eyes of, of humanity, not through the eyes of the people around him, not even through Gideon's eyes. He looks through the eyes of the Holy Spirit at Gideon. He says, mighty warrior. I bet no one had ever called Gideon that in his entire life. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. (laughs) And all Gideon can do is kind of argue with this. See, the moment you know God is with you, you become a mighty warrior. Both of our kids have battled type 1 diabetes and chronic illness. And, um, you know... As they were children, I've had to hold them down while the nurse would come in and draw blood and give them shots and all this stuff. And I've had to chase my kids under the dining room table where they were hiding from me because they didn't want me to give them another shot. And I sat all night in children's critical care unit surrounded by sick children separated only by thin sheets of curtains hanging between our beds. And I sat there in a chair beside my kid's bed all night as, he, as we wondered what was going to happen to him. And I sat there in, in a chair. And uh, he would wake up at you know midnight. He'd wake up at 2. And he'd look there and he'd look for me. As long as I was in the chair, he'd go back to sleep. I never left. I stayed there. And uh, there, there were other times of high risk, you know, field trips and camps and sports and special events and through every sickness in my kid's life they never had to ask the question 
Dad, are you going to be there? Because they always knew I was going to be there. And, and through, through all those years, there's a hundred things I wish I could do over. There's so many things, decisions I made I wish I could undo and do it better and do it again. But, but I want to tell you something. In the middle of my own blatant imperfection, I could see the difference that my presence made in my kid's life. Because there's a lot of times I couldn't do anything. I could just be there. But being there in the moment gave them the courage and the confidence to face the challenges they had. Can I tell you something today? You and I have a perfect heavenly Father who says, I will be with you wherever you go and God's presence is the antidote to the discouragement and the fear in our life. His presence will go with you. Is that right? We see this in the Bible again and again and again. God says to Jeremiah, I want you to be a prophet in Israel. And he says, but I can't do that. And what does he say to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I will be with you. To the disciples, he says, I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And they basically say, we can't do that. And he says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I will be with you until the end of the world. And to Moses, he says, I want you to go and face the most powerful man on earth and tell him to let go of my two million people, one to two million slaves that he's captured. I want you to confront him. And he says, who am, who, 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 who am I to do that? I can't even talk good. And what does God say to him? I am, will be with you. I, I, I want to say this to you. God gives us situations that expose our insecurities so that we might become secure in Him. God puts us in situations that expose our insecurities that we might become secure in Him. There's no other way for him to come out. He allows situations that make us desperate for him so we'll reach out and grab hold of his presence and he wants to lead you into your fear so that he can make you fearless in his presence. I'm, I'm telling you, if you're struggling with a fear, if, you're, if fear's defeating you, it's probably because you will not allow the Holy Spirit not to lead you around the fear or away from the fear, but through the fear. He will actually lead you into the storm. He will actually lead you into choppy waters. He will actually lead you into those moments of insecurity and fear so that you will learn that you can count on him and it will free you from the fear and the insecurity in your life. But you're not going to find it running away. You have to walk with him in it. So let me summarize two chapters of the Bible, okay? You ready? I'll do this in about five minutes. The Midians, the Midianites grab a few other armies because what they want to do is they want to obliterate the Israelites from the earth. They want to totally destroy them. 
And Gideon uh, gathers all the soldiers he can find together, you know, weak little last clan Gideon, you know, the runt. He's going to grab all the soldiers he can gather. Well, he ends up amassing 32,000 soldiers. But they're fighting against an alliance of armies. And, you know, a lot of them are afraid. So the Holy Spirit says to Gideon, "Um, your army's too big. And he says, what, what? Your army's too big. Okay, listen, I was with you on the mighty warrior thing. But you've lost your mind. The army's too big. Yes, I want you to go back to the army, and I want you to tell everyone who's afraid to go home. And so he did. And 22,000 went home. So now he's got 10,000. He's crossing his arms, back in the corner, feeling a little insecure. And, and the Holy Spirit says to him, you still got too many. <laughs> I'm done. You know, I'm done with all the PR campaign and all the mighty warrior. I'm done with all of it. Taking the bumper sticker off my car, I'm done. You got too many. Long story short, so they whittled down the 10,000 to 300 <laughs> to fight an alliance of armies. Now, now, how many of you know that God can do more through 300 people who are all in than 32,000 who are looking out for themselves? Right? God loves to stack the deck against himself. So when it happens, only he can get the credit. So Gideon, 300 guys, so 301, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is with them. And, and, and everybody takes a trumpet, he says, and a clay pot with a flaming torch inside. And he says, we're going to go to the edge of the enemy's camp. And when we get there, we're going to blow the trumpet. We're going to smash the clay pot. We're going to hold the torch in the air. And we're going to see what God does. That does not sound like a good plan for anybody who's keeping score. I, I, I mean, if you're just honest with yourself, you're listening to that and you go, what good would that do? That, that, that's like the middle school computer club taking on the high school football team, you know, with harmonicas. You go, uh, like I'm, this is outside my, my expertise here. So what do they do? They blow the trumpets, they break the clay pots, they hold the torches in their hand, and the Holy Spirit begins to move through the enemy's camp and causes panic, and they all start killing each other, and the Holy Spirit and Gideon and 300 men win an impossible battle. Now, I said all of that to tell you one thing, to bring you back to Judges 6, verse 34. I want you to look at this little phrase that happened at the beginning of all this. It says, then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. What does that mean? This is an incredible Old Testament picture of a spirit-filled life. It's a prophetic picture of what Jesus wants in all of our lives. You have this weak, fearful man hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. The Holy Spirit moves on him, and now he's able to do mighty things for God. And it wasn't by his talent, it wasn't by his ingenuity, it wasn't by his skill, it wasn't by his experience, it was by his obedience. Do you know God wants to turn our weaknesses into a strength so he can reveal his glory to those around you? 
You want to talk about value, you want to talk about purpose, you want to talk about impact. God doesn't even need us, but he invites us to be part of it. He chooses to use us. So why, why a trumpet, a clay pot, and a torch? Watch. The trumpet is worship. God moves wherever he's wanted. And when you set an atmosphere of worship in your life, you might as well just open the door and invite the Holy Spirit to move in. God moves where, look, you may say, uh, what good would it do to sing a worship song right now? Don't you like see what I'm going through? Well, what good would it do to blow a trumpet at 80, 100,000 soldiers? It's not by logic that you're going to defeat the things in your life. So the trumpet is worship. What's the clay pot? We're the clay pots. (laughs) You just break them. (laughs) You shatter them. We get broken. We get messed up. We got fault lines. We got cracks. What's the torch? The Holy Spirit. When we're broken before the Lord, the power of God is released and it shines the light of the Holy Spirit all around us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure. Where's the treasure? In jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is not from us, it's from God. So, so look, just take a look at a picture of what a, what a, a clay pot would look like. You, look, so there's a little pot, but what's inside it? It's just a basic terracotta, simple, 99-cent dollar store pot. But it's got a fire in it. Do you, do you understand we're made from the dust of the earth? The dust of the earth contains the fire of God. And the great privilege that you and I have is to carry and steward his presence wherever we go. When you understand God is with you, you can do mighty things for God. So maybe we need to stop being focused on what's wrong with us and start being focused on what's right with him. Because at the end of the day, we're all broken pots. But a broken pot that will raise a trumpet and allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to live in them can do more than an army of 32,000 people will ever do. So number three, if you're taking notes, the Holy Spirit wants to fill us until we're overflowing with His presence. The mo- Let's do a little theology, okay? The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves inside you. Like that's what the Bible teaches. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the salvation moment. He brings you from death to life. It's your moment of salvation. But God doesn't want to just live inside you. He wants the Holy Spirit to also rest on you. And that's what we saw in Gideon's life. Luke 24, 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with, with power from on high. That's the flame that lives inside the clay pot. So the Holy Spirit wants to be in us, but he also wants to be on us. Do you know what the word anointing means in the Bible? It means to smear. What that means is that that God wants you to be dripping wet, and he wants to smear his presence all over you. So wherever you go, you will be a person of his presence, and his presence on you, the flame inside the pot, is what's going to make the impact. 
So let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit is in me for my sake. He's on me for your sake. And that's true for you. The Holy Spirit is in you for your sake, but he wants to live on you for the sake of those around you. That the power and presence of God might be released wherever you go. So the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have. The question is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? How surrendered are you? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will produce spiritual fruit in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So when the presence of God is on you, you have the power of God going with you. And if the power of God is on your life, don't you think we should be doing a little bit more than just putting fish stickers on our car? Or listening to Christian radio? Or putting clever little thoughts on Facebook and listen and living good moral lives. If you think the purpose of the fire of the Holy Spirit is just sin management, then you, you have drastically underestimated the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You've been called by God to destroy the works of the devil, to bring heaven to earth, to release the life of God wherever you go. Jesus said, signs and wonders will follow those who follow me. His treasure is meant to be released through your pot of clay. Now, you go, destroy the work of the devil. What was that again? <laughs> how, how, how am I going to do all that? Listen, you can't do it. But you're not alone. You don't have to do it by yourself. God never intended for you to do it alone. He wants to, he wants to fill you and smear his presence all over you and partner with you and empower you and help you. Years ago, um, I don't have uh, almost none of my dad's side of the family are Christians. Uh, back to about three generations, there's finally a Christian back there. You know, we never met. Great, great grandparents. But to my knowledge, uh, man, I mean, it would be 5% Christian on his side of the family anywhere. And his sister was sick, and I was in Bible school, and they, she was in ICU, and you could only go in certain hours. And they, uh, I happened to be visiting from college, and we were going to go see her. And so they said, hey, you know, you don't realize when, when you go to Bible school, uh, everybody thinks you can do everything Jesus does then. You know, you, you go, go heal her. You know, go in there and fix it. And you're like, I hadn't had that class. You know, I don't know how that goes yet. But I went in there. And she was non-responsive. She'd been non-responsive for days. And I, I remember going there feeling so unqualified and overwhelmed. Like, I don't know what to do. So I went in there and I just put my hand on her forehead and I just said, Lord, I prayed something like this. I don't even hardly remember. Lord, I, I just pray that you touch. Her name was Margie. I've Lord, I pray you just touch Margie with your presence. And God, I know even now you can minister to her and raise her up again and bring new life into her. She's not a believer. Nobody in her family is a believer. And um, I left. and Nothing happened. I left and went back to school. And my mom called me a couple of days later and she said, you know, your, your aunt woke up. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And she said, the only thing she remembers the day she was unconscious is you coming in and praying for her. And I said, really? <laughs> I didn't know anything was happening. She said, that's what she said. And we weren't close as a family, but you know what happened? 
as the years went by, she and her husband started to go. They were in another part of the city. They started to go to church. And when she passed away, her funeral was in that church, and her pastor did her funeral. And I don't know the whole story, but I believe somehow the presence of God ministered in that moment. Through my own weakness and through my own brokenness and through my own inability, I didn't do anything special. I just went with His presence. And I'm not saying God will heal everybody that you pray for because He's not healed everybody I've prayed for. But His presence will make a difference. Uh, once I was in a church service like this. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. And uh, I, was gonna, I was teaching on something. I don't know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit or something. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to use an illustration from the congregation. And I was trying to let people know it's okay. The pressure's not on you, it's on God, okay? You can just pray for people and God will do what God's going to do. I, we, don't have, we, don't, we don't control all this. And so I thought I'll give an example. Because I had seen somebody do this one time and I thought this was, I, I said, is there anybody in the room you know who's suffering? There's a guy in our church who just had terrible back problems. And I said, well, can I pray for you? Would you just stand? He was about, like in this section, he'd be about halfway back. So I went back and I, and I held his hand and I started praying for him. And, uh, and my intention was to pray for him. And then when he opened his eyes, we opened our eyes, I said, you know, do you feel better? Do you feel anything different? My intention was for him to say no. And I would say, see, every time you pray, it's not a miracle. It's okay, but we're still going to pray. That's what I was going to do. That's what I was going to do. Can I, can, I just be, can I just tell you the truth, be honest with you? This is preacher talk right here. You don't tell these stories in church where other Christians can hear. But, but, I, but I, I went back and I prayed for him. And he looked at me and he said, uh, I feel better. And I said, really? You feel better? He said, yeah, my, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. But my, he goes, I, 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 and I said, he was one of our board members. I said, Randy, are you sure? Yes, he said, man, this, I've been to the doctor. And I, mean, this, I thought I was going to have to have surgery. It's terrible. And he left the service, and he was walking. He felt so good. He was walking. He couldn't get over it. He's walking back and forth in the foyer the rest of the service, just out in the foyer, almost jumping like this. Like, man, I, he like, I got a new life. I couldn't believe it. He was healed. That man was healed. He never had back surgery. <laughs> what did I really do? <laughs> I wasn't expecting a miracle. I was expecting a not miracle. That's what I was expecting, a not miracle. But when you bring God's presence, see, when you bring God's presence, here's what I know. My part is actually small but critical. It's small but critical. God can do it without you he just usually won't. But he really doesn't need much from you. We make it so much harder than it is. Just, just offer. Just offer what you have. Sometimes we're afraid of God's presence. Sometimes like Adam and Eve, we hide from God's presence. Sometimes we want to control God's presence and make something happen. But what we have to learn is just to be the clay pot God made us and just carry his presence. That's all we do. We carry his presence. So how surrendered are you today to the presence of God? 
The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. How does that feel? Mom, dad, got some battles in your home, grandparents, husband and wife, you struggling with each other. The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. He's with you, mighty warrior. And that changes everything. You may say, but you don't know how I feel. You don't know how small I feel. You don't know how weak I feel. You don't know how little I am. You don't know how unable I am. The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. He's with you, mighty warrior. You know what I really wanted to do today? What I wanted to do today is to try to raise your faith and to ask God to stir your faith so that you wouldn't live a defeated Christian life and you could be broken free from religion. That's what I wanted to do. So would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask our prayer team to come. Man, the Holy Spirit is in this place. And he's come to do a work today if we'll let him do work. And our part's really just so little. It's so little. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be fast. You don't have to be gifted. You You don't have to be the best. You can even be the worst. It doesn't matter. God is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) He so loves, he so loves to take the foolish things and the weak things and to do something fabulous with it because only he can get credit then. Then everybody's eye turns to him. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and let let me invite you to prayer today. Today, if you're here and you just say, I need God's presence on my life I need God's presence on my life I want to ask God to fill me with his presence that his presence would rest on me that he would smear his presence all over me that I would be full that I would be overflowing with his presence I'm in a situation I'm in a circumstance I need the presence of God and it might feel like the most counterintuitive worthless thing to do how could this ever make a difference in my life and all I would say to you how can blowing a trumpet defeat an army but it can today if you're here and you say I I I need God's presence on my life. Or maybe you're here today and you say, I need a miracle in my life. I need a breakthrough, a miracle, a change. I need God to come and do something inside my marriage, my relationship, my job, my family, my children, inside my own emotions, inside my heart, my mind, and my soul. I need a breakthrough today from God. If you need, if you need the presence of the Holy Spirit, I want to begin to pray for you. And as I do, I just want you to come to one of the prayer team and let them pray for you. You just say to them, I need God's presence in my life. I need a miracle in my life. I need God to work today in my life. I want his presence to be on me because I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. I want to to be fruitful. As I pray for you, I want you to just slide out and come and let one of the prayer team pray for you. Holy Spirit, I ask you now to invite. God, I ask you to call. Lord, I ask you to draw every person that needs a deeper measure of your presence, that needs a miracle. Come on, I want you to come right now. I want you to come right now. If you need the Holy Spirit to work in your life, I want you to come right now. 
If you're hungry for the Holy Spirit to fill you today, I want you to come right now. If you're hungry for His presence on your life, I want you to come right now. Holy Spirit, draw every person that needs to be touched by your presence today. And Lord, now you do what only you can do. God, you do what only you can do. Move by your presence, Holy Spirit. Move by your presence. question if you want God to to use you this week if, if you would say my prayer is that God would open a door for me this week to minister his presence to somebody around me it could be a, an act of kindness if you offer a, a cup of cold water in my name he says I'm there it could be a prayer it could be a a moment of uh, sharing your own story but if you if you just say would you just pray with me that God would open a door this week for me to share his presence with it with every eye closed I want you just to lift your hand where you are and I'm just gonna pray for you just lift your hand up and leave it up and I'm gonna pray for you today Lord I pray today for every person with their hand lifted God that your presence would now go in front of them and go behind them and go around them. And Lord, we commission them in Jesus' name by the presence of the Holy Spirit to go and to share your presence this week. Somewhere, some way, open a door. Lord, make a divine appointment. Make a divine connection. And Lord, let your presence flow into somebody's life. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you for being here. The worship team is going to continue to... Lead. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you.